Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. It's Thursday, October 29, 2020, and President Trump's closing argument is now crystal clear. The economic recovery from COVID is in full swing. It's looking like that V-shape that he's been talking about for a while now. New numbers out today show the largest economic growth on record ever for one quarter. Sales, like this guy in the cartoon, are up, and America has now regained two-thirds of the economic output lost because of COVID-19. Meanwhile, all political eyes on Florida today as the Trump train steamrolls into the Sunshine State. Joe Biden there, too. Trump must have Florida have a second chance at a second term. And speaking of a second term, will evangelicals show up for Trump in record numbers? He's going to need even more of them. This time around, we're going to unpack the data. But first, our newsmaker. It's not my liberal mother. Sorry, she turned down my request for an interview. Uh, instead, we have the next best thing, Rudy Giuliani with us. Mr. Mayor, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Oh, well, nice to talk to you. Well, uh, Rudy, look, the last time we talked, you did mention some internal polling. You had confidence about the president's chances. What, what can you tell us now? What is your sense just a few days before uh, the big day? Well, I never like to be too confident, but I am. And uh, I, I, I believe that he's in considerably better shape than he was in 2016. I think Biden is in worse shape than Hillary was, largely because of the last week and a half where he disappeared. I mean, we can't have a president who disappears when there's pressure. Um, and even though there's been a massive censorship on this story about, uh, about the hard drive that proves that the Biden family is a criminal family, uh, a censorship I've never seen before. The story's getting through, and I think it's worse for the fact that it's being censored. I think they realize that big tech, the big networks, basically have a, 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 a pact with the Democrat Party to elect Biden, no matter how crooked he is, and no matter how mentally impaired he is. Yeah, for sure. It definitely seems that way, Rudy. Let me bring up this anonymous guy, Miles um, Taylor, that we're now hearing about, which I thought was kind of interesting because he went on CNN a couple months before uh, this and said he wasn't anonymous. And now all of a sudden he's saying he is the anonymous guy. I want to play you Donald Trump uh, talking about him. Here he is. To show you how corrupt the Washington media is, I was just, and did you see this? This was just revealed. It was just revealed that, you know, Anonymous, you know, this Anonymous that everybody's been looking for, that law enforcement could have found early if they wanted to, but everybody was looking for Anonymous. Turned out to be a low-level staffer, a sleazebag, who's never worked in the White House. Anonymous was a nobody, a disgruntled employee who was quickly removed from his job a long time ago for they tell me incompetence. I don't know what for, but they tell me incompetence. You know where he works now? He works at CNN. Can you believe it? Works at CNN. Rudy, your reaction to Anonymous here? <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, they hire liars. So, I mean, they might as well have another one. I mean, it's unbelievable. CNN is, is they're corrupt. <laughs> they're not even a news organ. They're totally corrupt. Zucker has them like a hit organization. I mean, the, the guy lied completely. He was misrepresented as a high level. You could look at this guy and know he's not a high level administration official. If they had written that thing from a, and said a middle or low level staffer, it would have meant nothing. It would have been a disgruntled Obama hangover, which is what it was. 
And, you know, and, and, and anybody who thinks that Obama did anything on foreign policy is just ignorant. I mean, all he did was give billions to Iran and put us and, and lose more American lives than he should have. President Trump has, on the other hand, made three peace agreements, reduced dramatically the number of American lives we're losing that we did under Obama, kind of put North Korea at least on a non-war foot setting, which is where Obama had it, pushed back in Syria after 12 times when Assad was told if you use chemical weapons, it'll be a red line. Well, it wasn't a red line. It was a cowardly line that Obama said. First time he did it to Trump, Trump hit him back and he hasn't done it again. I mean, there's such a difference in world relations. And now the economy? I mean, yeah. you think Joe Biden could do this for the economy? He can't count. He can't get numbers straight. He, 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 was, he was in the Senate for 186 years. <laughs> and, his wife, and his wife looks at him like it's a serious comment. Then the other day, he was running against George. Yeah, he's running against George Trump. Yeah, he's running George Trump. Yeah, he's running against, and, and you know, the wife sits there like, he must do this all the time at home. Yeah, the she, she doesn't even bat an eyelash. I mean, if I did that, my friend or would like say, hey, Rudy, you know, oh gosh, yeah, yeah, it's Trump. They're just so used to the fact that he has dementia, they just flow right with it. Hey, Rudy, let me ask you, uh, you about the city you love, New York City and D Bill de Blasio. We've talked about him before, but I saw some video the other day, and, and we've seen this before, the Jews for Trump out there in Brooklyn. They love them. They, they, I tell you, those Orthodox Jews, uh, they're upset at de Blasio, and they're just like, you know what, Trump, bring it on. We're, we're, we're a big fan of yours. Talk to me about what de Blasio is doing to the uh, Orthodox Jewish community in New York. You know, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing. In the last three years, he's displayed really signs of, of strong anti-Semitism. Uh, during, during, the, during, during his the first period we had with him, he denied that there was COVID. And when they say that the president was late, he, he didn't recognize it for a month and a half after the president, nor did Cuomo, by the way. I mean, the president was the first one. If he was late, he was still the first one to get it. So to get the idea that we had to do something about it, if Biden had been president, we would have lost two million more people. So wait, he, one, day, one day he was uh, in Brooklyn, he was at a, it was a funeral. It was a Hasidic funeral. People may have been a little bit too close together. But he, he had like a hissy fit. He's going to have them all arrested. All arrested. Yeah. It was, just, it was a religious celebration. I don't know. Maybe he never read the First Amendment. Free exercise of religion. The very next day in the morning, he's at a gathering with 200, 300 union supporters of his. They have no masks on. He and his wife have no masks on. And they're right in the middle of it, smiling. Hmm. So I wrote a, I wrote, I wrote a letter. And I said, well, maybe he thinks only Hasidic people spread COVID. Mm. I mean, the guy, the guy is, well, he's the worst mayor in the history of the city. I can't get a Democrat to defend him. I have yeah. a radio show and I invite people on to defend him. I even tell him, I'll give you two minutes. I won't say anything. <laughs> Nobody's come on. Nobody. Not even his, not even his relatives. <laughs> no, I, I believe I know a lot of liberals in New York, and uh, they all say the same thing. They they can't stand them, and these are these are liberal friends of mine that are just like you got to be kidding me. All right, so let me ask you about the, back to the election real quick. So what happens? Imagine this scenario, Rudy. So let's say so Trump wins, 
And what happens at that point with Democrats in these cities? Are they going to have a meltdown as it relates to from a security standpoint? There are a lot of people concerned about the mayhem that may transpire if Trump actually does win a second term. There are going to be a lot of people angry and possibly violent. <laughs> uh, they won't be violent. If Trump wins, they will not be violent because they realize he's here for four years that he's not going to let, let them get too far with it. And uh, the, 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 reality, the reality is, um, I guarantee you, uh, he will he'll keep the country safe. Don't worry about it. So Plus, there are, a bunch of, there are a bunch of bullies anyway, and just a little bit of enforcement. I mean, look, the Democrat governors and mayors don't allow arrests to be made. This isn't happening in Republican cities, this kind of, sure, sure there's crime in Republican cities, there's more crime in Democratic cities, but there's crime. But there aren't these kinds of riots like what we're seeing in Philadelphia. The police are observing them wiping out stores. Yeah. That's, that's the order of the left wing Democratic mayor and the Soros produced district attorney. Because many of these district attorneys are non law enforcement radicals who were elected on the millions and millions of dollars that George Soros put in the district attorney's races in the last two cycles, at least 40 million. So what is that guy doing putting money into DA's races and electing DA's who turn back 50 or 60% of the cases that are brought to them by the police? It's in order to create anarchy and chaos so that, so that we destroy our form of government, which is what the Democrats are no longer the old Democrat Party. I mean, they've been taken over by a group of radicals. That's one group. And then a group of Obama, Clinton, Biden crooks who are in politics for money. Yeah. So combination of the two things, it's a rotten party at the head. The rest of the Democratic Party is wonderful. They're no better or worse than the Republicans. But they got to cut the head off. I think it's been rotting since Clinton because of immorality and crime and greed and yeah. And then you make and then you make bargains with the devil like uh, like Soros. Rudy, I got less than a minute left, so I just want to understand. So you, you think that Trump should be calling in federal troops if things get out of hand? Uh, because he don't I, have to. you don't think he's going to have to. You believe me when he's there and he's there for four years and he tells them, keep the peace. They're going to jump. They're going to jump through hoops. This has all been this has all been done to try to create chaos so that he'd be defeated. Uh-huh. I mean, COVID's going to be over from the point of view of frightening the living daylights out of people the day after the election. Believe me, COVID is bad, but it isn't the disease that it was five months ago. People are dying, you know, much less a rate. It's a death rate similar to other diseases. Yeah. So they concentrate on the number of people getting it as if it was like four months ago. Yeah. And about 80 percent less die now from it. We basically can cure it now, even before we have a vaccine. But the Democrats lie to the American people to create a bad atmosphere. Rudy, always a pleasure to talk to you. I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks, Rudy. All right. When we come back, uh, Ralph Reed, uh, a lot of knowledge when it comes to evangelicals and Trump. They're key for him again in 2020. Can Trump deliver or can evangelicals deliver for him? Back in a moment. 
Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, evangelicals and Trump. We know how important evangelicals are to the reelection, potentially, of Donald Trump. Uh, will they show up and how much so uh, in 2020? Joining us now, Ralph Reed, the CEO of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. He's also author of the book For God and Country, The Christian Case for Trump. Uh, Ralph, thanks for being here again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, David. Good to be with you. Well, uh, just a few days out, uh, what's the lay of the land? What's your sense? What's your evangelical spidey sense uh, feeling right now? Well, David, we're uh, we're tracking the uh, evangelical vote on a daily basis. We're looking at the early vote and the absentee ballot vote in every state where that's a relevant um, indicator. Uh, all I can tell you, obviously, we don't like to you know, print our playbook in the newspaper or broadcast it on television. But uh, what I can tell you is that our turnout of conservative voters of faith, including self-identified born-again evangelicals, is running ahead of where it was in 2016 in every single battleground state that we're tracking. Um, is some by a lot, some by a little, but we're well ahead of where we were four years ago. Obviously, the early vote is up overall in some of these states, significantly so. So, you know, we're not doing any kind of a premature victory dance. Uh, frankly, we're not paying any attention to polling uh, at this point, if we ever did. Uh, we're now, the election's underway. It's happening right now. Uh, we have X million evangelical voters who have not voted yet. We know who they are. We know where they live. We have their phone numbers. We're pushing out digital ads. We're sending peer-to-peer text messages to their cell phones. And as we speak, there are about 2,500 paid staff and full-time volunteers that are knocking on their doors. So, Ralph, you say you're not really paying attention much to the polls. What are you paying attention to? What are some of the key barometers that you're looking for? I know we've talked in the past about raw voter turnout as opposed to percentage of turnout. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, we have a look, we have a data set in every battleground state. We have a certain number of Christian voters that we're chasing and getting to the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, that number varies from 4 million in Florida to about um, 1.6 million in Georgia to uh, about 1.9 million in North Carolina. There's 46 million uh, nationally in all 50 states, there's 26.2 million in the battleground states. So right now what we're doing is we're just chasing those voters. And and as I said, it's a combination at this point of digital uh, text message and door knocks. And we've got more doors being knocked at between now and election day. More doors will be knocked on by faith and freedom, staff and volunteers than than in the entire 2016 election cycle. 
So, Ralph, I, get, I do get the sense that the, uh, the energy, the enthusiasm is up even more among evangelicals uh, than 2016. And I do notice that uh, today, for example, the Christian Post uh, out with dueling editorials. I want to read you a headline, at least from one of them. This is uh, Mike Pence writing this editorial in the Christian Post uh, saying President Trump is the best choice for Americans of faith. And then Joe Biden also writing an op-ed today. This is what Joe Biden uh, says, the greatest commandment has guided my politics. And I, I guess I want to ask you a little bit about, we, we're seeing more outreach by the Biden campaign than we ever did from Hillary Clinton's campaign. Are you concerned that that could yeah. be a potential factor here? No, no, I'm not concerned at all. You're talking about uh, a candidate in Joe Biden, sadly, I think it's, I think it's sad, who for 42 years, as a member of the U.S. Senate, as a chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and as vice president of the United States, always supported the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits the use of taxpayer funding to take the lives of unborn babies. Mm -hmm. He always opposed taxpayer-funded abortion. Uh, the Hyde Amendment has been a bipartisan consensus in this country for over 40 years. He always supported it. Uh, within a matter of days of getting into this race, he's flip-flopped. He now favors abortion on demand for any reason or no reason at all, uh, including after the child can survive outside the womb, including up to the moment of birth. And he wants to pay for it with our tax dollars. And on top of that, he wants funding, taxpayer funding of abortion included including in a government-run entitlement program uh, that would be Medicare for all or a public option uh, under Obamacare. That's an assault on the conscience and the faith of tens of millions of Americans. And I don't question Joe Biden's faith. I don't question his commitment to his church. But I can tell you this right now, David, that is the most radical position that has ever been taken by a presidential candidate in our lifetimes. And nobody who gets endorsed by Planned Parenthood and favors taxpayer-funded abortion, including late-term abortion, and wants to include it under expanded government-run health care, mm -hmm. is going to win much of the faith vote, period. Yeah, yeah. And, and definitely could come back to haunt him for sure. Let me ask you this, Ralph, as we kind of wrap up. The lay of land from a state standpoint, I mean, look, as my family is having dinner or playing board games, I'm sitting there trying to figure out a 270 electoral map. I've got nothing better to do. And I'm trying to figure out how Trump wins. And I got to tell you, I, I don't see any scenario where he can win if he doesn't win Florida, right? I mean, he's got to have Florida. I mean, I guess there's a way to do it, but Florida, yeah, North there Carolina. Would be a way. Well, well, well yeah, there if, would be a way. It would be a narrow path. But if he were to lose Florida, and he were to carry Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, Iowa, Arizona, and then Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. He doesn't even need Florida. But look, I think I was reasonably confident four years ago that Donald Trump would carry Florida. I think he's going to carry it again. Um, and, and I think Pennsylvania is an interesting case for two reasons. Number one, by calling for the banning of fossil fuels and saying he's going to phase out fracking. Uh, that's that's 400,000 jobs in Pennsylvania. And finally, his refusal to be honest with the American people about his secret plan to pack the courts, not just the Supreme Court, but the appellate courts and the district courts. Uh, he sold his soul to the radical left and the pro-abortion wing of the Democratic Party. 
And you know, there's that old, there's that old yeah. James Carville line, David. You remember Carville said he won a few elections in Pennsylvania. He said Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh and Philadelphia with Alabama in the middle. <laughs> and you watch those votes in the yep. heartland of Pennsylvania. Watch what happens. Well, Ralph, uh, I couldn't agree with you and James Carville more. So thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, Ralph. You bet. Good to be with you. All right. When we come back, uh, a lot more to discuss about the election, including the pro-life vote. How will they go? And will Donald Trump be able to count on them? Back in a moment. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, uh, look, if Donald Trump were here, he would say, and he'd kind of do it like this, I am the most pro-life president ever in the history of ever, of ever of America. Uh, and you know what? Let's be honest. He, he'd kind of be true. I mean, you don't have to do any fake news on that. Uh, let's talk more about it, especially with this upcoming election. Marjorie Dannenfelser is president of the Susan B. Anthony List and author of the book, Life is Winning Inside the Fight for the Unborn. Uh, Marjorie, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. David, you're, you're a great mimic of the president. I think he'd say exactly like that. It's great to be here. Well, thanks. I mean, it's a big league imitation. What do you want? I don't know. It's a little, it's a little too New York, I think. But hey, Marjorie, uh, talk to me about the pro. I mean, you guys have been really at it on the ground. Talk to me about the uh, ground game when it comes to the pro-life uh, uh, effort here. Well, the pro-life effort has the biggest ground game out there. there. It really is. And it's the longest standing and most thoroughgoing. We've been in the field over a year now since August of 2019. And we're working with, uh, and when I say working with, I mean communicating with in all sorts of forms, in person, online, um, digitally, uh, in text, in personal communications, door to door, uh, since that time, August 2019, with 8 million voters. That, in, in the end, we're actually now uh, that's the stable of voters. And these, these voters are persuadables, uh, politicos call it. it. just means basically they're not 100% sure. They're Republicans, they're Democrats, they're independents in Senate and presidential battleground states, which will decide whether we retain this incredible victory that we have on the Supreme Court or not. And whether this really incredible mo moment, David, that I know you've been watching this for years, yeah. where we are on the verge of overturning Roe versus Wade, allowing states to, to allow their own voices to enact laws that reflect the wills of the people, either going to happen or not, pretty much based on what happens next week. Yeah, I want to get back to you on the Roe v. Wade uh, question and, and the Supreme Court and Amy Coney Barrett in a moment. But let me ask you about the ground game. So so what certain states, I mean, you're everywhere, I get that. But uh, what, where are there key states that you're really looking to break through and make sure you have to make a difference in, in those specific states? Is there kind of a hierarchy of some states sure. here that you're looking at? Yeah, the miracle of the founding and these tools of democracy is really only a handful of states and a handful of people in those handful of states that will determine the outcome of the election by and large. So we'll yeah. look Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Montana, Iowa, and South Carolina. 
Now, all those don't are not presidential battlegrounds. Some of them are are, are uh, Senate battlegrounds, but the combination of them really will determine uh, the policy in the future when it comes to abortion policy in this nation. So it's really high impact stuff. Marjorie, you mentioned Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, those three key mm-hmm. rust belts we keep hearing so much about. Now, the president has got to at least win one of them, uh, maybe Pennsylvania, okay. but either way, he's got to win one of them. Um, right. what, what is your sense within those three? Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the heavy lift or what's the, what's the pitch exactly as yeah. to how you kind of break through there? Pennsylvania, um, most people are glum about it, but we're the most hopeful. Uh, Pennsylvania has got all the dynamics that uh, that a that a Rust Belt old style um, Governor Casey, not Senator Casey, state would have. Meaning, it's got deep roots of pro life in that state, and it's been neglected for a while. I think in national politics in this regard because it's so expensive. We've really doubled down there, and I think that um, and we hear back from those doors, those conversations every single day. We've, our people are really having the voter conversations. I, the, the polls sometimes reflect that and sometimes don't. Our sense is that Pennsylvania is the closest of all of those places. Um, Wisconsin and, um, and Michigan, certainly close. And I think Michigan is the same when it comes to the deep pro-life roots. I think that, and we also hear a lot of good things back from the doors there. I think the Catholic evangelical and, uh, and, uh, uh, basically that Catholic and evangelical yeah. and just plain old pro-life vote there will be decisive in all of those places. I just think that it's you know, really easy for all these wars to be, uh, you know, not ground wars, not person to person, but air wars where no one really knows what's happening until the vote that happens on the day. The most important poll is on the election day. That's where we're so close. No, you're absolutely right. You know, not to geek out or anything, but in Michigan, Macomb County, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be watching Macomb County, obviously, because that's mm-hmm. where a lot of those that's Reagan right. Democrats are. Is that are, you've got an influence or I say an influence, but you've got a ground game, I, I assume, in Macomb County. Yeah, we do. And um, we have in all the places, the way we find our voters is really kind of a sophisticated uh, system. But we get what we figure out where we need to be, where we need to be going door to door, who who we need to be communicating with. Mm -hmm. And uh, and those uh, what we have found is that the Supreme Court and now Supreme Court packing uh, the born alive vote, whether you help a baby that's been born alive intended for abortion or not. um, And the 20 week, five month pain capable bill. We poll over and over and over, and we find those three issues move those swing voters mm-hmm. in those that persuadable universe. And uh, and the president, no, I actually talked to the president as he was going in the debate last week, and he knows this, um, and he understands this. And uh, it's turned out that he has really made the difference in you know, doing the right thing is also the politically smart thing to do, and he's really proved that. Yeah, Marjorie, I was going to ask you about the Supreme Court and the packing of the Supreme Court. Are you pretty much convinced if Joe Biden becomes president or, or as Kamala Harris says, the Harris-Biden uh, administration? Uh, but whatever the case may be, that administration will, will pack the courts. Uh, are, are you pretty much convinced that they're going to go for retribution? 100 percent convinced. If there was an iota of doubt, it would have been laid to rest because this is not helping them. Um, they don't want to be called hypocrites when they go ahead and do it. They won't be hypocrites. They will go ahead and do it. If they get the Senate, they get the presidency, they change the filibuster rule, they decide how many um, they can even add senators to the U.S. Senate if they decide they would like to, they may do that. But the most profound and high impact thing they do would be the change of the very nature of how our government works to make the Supreme Court basically another legislative body that if you don't like the result over there, Mm -hmm. will you just increase the numbers to try to, quote, balance it out? In other words, we've been playing by these rules 
the rules of the founders for all of these years. And mm -hmm. that's why we've had a three, you know, new Supreme Court justices that uh, that are trying to purge the court yeah. of being legislators. So there's no question in my mind that they will do that. Last 30 seconds or so, Marjorie, Amy Coney Barrett, what do you expect from her as it relates to Roe v. Wade and, and what may be coming? Look, I know that she's pro-life. That doesn't mean that I know how she'll rule. I think we have been working on quite a number of cases along with legislators and, and people in the pro-life movement to get the, the decision up there. I think now we have a much better chance than we've ever had at eroding or overturning Roe and restoring states' ability to pass life-saving laws that they think are important. Mm -hmm. Marjorie Dannensfelser, always great to catch up with you. Good luck uh, next week on the campaign trail. I look forward to talking to you then. Thanks. All right, Marjorie, <laughs> uh, always a shining light out there. Uh, really, I tell you what, she's got a great story. She used to be a Democrat uh, and then uh, kind of saw the uh, pro-life light, if you will. Fascinating. We'll have to have her back sometime soon. All right, coming up, we've talked about Jews and evangelicals. Next, the Muslims, or as Trump would say, the Muslims. Back in a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back, everybody, to The Water Cooler. Well, boy, on this show, what have we talked about so far? We talked about evangelicals. We talked about uh, the Jews. Hey, how about the Muslims? Why the heck not? Uh, you know, that's all three religions, right? Uh, I wanna, I'm joined now uh, by Dr. Mike Gauss. He's a speaker, uh, author, founder, of present, uh, founder and president of the Center for Pluralism. He's also author of the new book, American Muslim Agenda, Muslims Together Building a Cohesive America. And uh, look, he's actually here in studio. Dr. Gauss, thanks for being here. Good to be here, David. It's, I'm glad to be here, and uh, I wish you all the best for the new show. Well, you are sure, and I think it's going to be very successful in the coming years, the way you are handling this. Well, I appreciate that. It means a lot. Uh, let me ask you about uh, the Muslim community and Donald Trump. If you say those words, everybody goes, oh, all Muslims can't stand Donald Trump. Uh, they talk about the ban and Muslim countries. Tell me what your experience or what you believe is to be the case. Well, the good news for Americans is Muslims have become a fully integrated part of the society. By that, I mean, if you look at the statistics, the, they're comparable to all other communities. Mm -hmm. For example, 30% of Muslims right now support Trump. And it is 30%. a 30%. It is a surprise to many people, but shouldn't be. Because as we become Americans, we are going to be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, compared to that, uh, uh, black Americans are 16%, 24% Hispanic Americans, mm -hmm. and 44% Catholics. So Muslims are right there with all American communities. Well, that's interesting because uh, in 2016, at least according to Pew, he got about 8% of the Muslim support. And that was Pew uh, reporting that. Or actually, it wasn't just Pew, but overall, that's what he got. So, so you're suggesting that he's going to have a lot more support this time. And if that's the case, why do you say that? Well, most Muslims align with the conservative values, especially the birthright. And uh, they align with the Republican Party. Somehow they were off 
Muslims were, most Muslims were Republicans before George Bush and after what happened, they start moving out. Now they're coming back. They see uh, Donald Trump as a holder of conservative values. They see he is not going to wars in the Middle East. That is bringing him a lot of support and that is tremendous support for him. I was surprised myself with the 30%. We thought there will be lesser than that. Yeah, I'm just curious. The 30% number is coming from, is that a certain poll that you're... It's a ISPU. It's a international, sorry. Mm -hmm. It's a Muslim survey organization that has been doing survey for the last full decade. Mm -hmm. And they're doing very successful surveys. And that is from called ISPU survey. What about this idea that, you know, it's, it's really bothered me when, when everybody says Trump was for a Muslim ban or a ban of all Muslims. He, I mean, it was never for a ban of all Muslims. I mean, I don't even know. I, there were certain Muslim countries, predominantly Muslim countries, that he wanted to curtail some of the, the travel into the United States. But uh, Obama did many of the same things when he was president. Well, I think it's a communication, David. Yeah. Uh, tr somehow Trump's people did not communicate well yeah. uh, about the Muslim. Like, uh, he was very clear. He was against the radical Muslims, not Muslims. That should have been clarified. If that had been clarified, mm -hmm. there would have been more Muslim support towards it. And Muslims have somehow believed that Trump is against Muslims. He's not against Muslims. He's against the radicals among Muslims. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the, and that explains it. Let's talk about Elon Omar a little bit. She's kind of been this, um, this not spokes, spokeswoman necessarily for, for the Muslim community at all, but being Muslim herself, and then of course being very radical and very liberal left, what is the view of someone like her within the Muslim community? Is there a split, is there a shift? There is a split. In fact, uh, at the very first time when she spoke, I wrote uh, several Muslims called me mm -hmm. and said, I don't like what she's doing. What she's doing is going to create difficulty for future Muslim candidates, uh, the way she had taken it. And I wrote an article on it. It is there on my website. Uh, web, uh, website. Mm -hmm. So that's, there is a, Ilhan Omar is divided. Because she speaks boldly, there is an element in all human beings want to support, go with the flow or go with somebody sure. who speaks boldly. Mm -hmm. And that's the only criteria she has got. Mm. Tell us a little bit about the book uh, that you've written. The book is called The American Muslim Agenda, David. Mm -hmm. It is Muslims for a long time react. When some terrorist does something somewhere, all of a sudden they start praying, oh my God, I'll let that not be a Muslim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for that, being on Hannity's show, being with the conservatives for the last 15 years, yeah. And I got to see their point of view, what they see in Muslims. And all of that is put in this book. Mm -hmm. And then I have full guidance for Muslims. It is a roadmap, a blueprint, uh, how Muslims can fully integrate in America, be a fully, full part of American society where no one ever feels, well, he is Muslim or he is a white American. Mm -hmm. That difference needs to go. And when we are all one nation under God, mm -hmm. we will see peace, prosperity, and cohesiveness built in America. So just so I understand what you're saying, you're saying that we're all Americans, and then it's, it's okay to be obviously a Muslim American, a, you know, Jewish, whatever it happens to be, African American, but you're saying ultimately it's important that America be the defining uh, characteristic if you're living in this country. Indeed. All the communities, whether if you look at the Jewish community, the first community mm -hmm. where they brought some reform. Uh, the Christian community brought reform. Muslim communities started being started reforming, are seeing 
a larger perspective of the society than before. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of the guys putting this forward and uh, uh, it's good. It's good to be, build that one nation under God. That way you are, Bro David Brody and Mike Gauss, together we are born differently. Right. We are raised with different faiths, but we can still sit down and talk together, have meal together, travel together in a yeah. car, go to the library together. And that is what the ultimate purpose of the Muslim agenda is. I 100% agree with you. I can say all three religions, major three world religions are represented here, uh, Muslim, uh, Christian, and Jewish, both. Uh, Perfect. You know, uh, born Jewish, uh, faith of Christianity. Um, let me ask you, though, just to wrap up here, um, this, this idea of dialogue, how much of, a, of this has been a stumbling block so much? You just talked about this idea that we really need to come together. If not, we're, we're going to be in real problem here. David, most of the conflicts between family members, between communities, between parties, mm -hmm. is there because we go by what is delivered to us as a myth. We keep propagating that myth instead of questioning that myth. Mm -hmm. Is this true? David, what you said about me 10 years ago, is that true? Mm -hmm. They say, no, I didn't say that to you. Right. And when we learn that, all of a sudden, most of the differences fade and solution starts coming up. Yeah. And dialogue is very critical, even though we disagree, we need to carry a civil dialogue and learn about each other firsthand, not through different sources. Really appreciate it. Dr. Gauss, thanks for being here. It's good to be here, David. All right, we'll have you back. We gotta have you back. Thank you very much. All right, when we come back, the last sip. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, everybody, to the water cooler. All right, time now for the last sip. Uh, it's an anonymous last sip. Actually, I'm the person delivering it, so I'm not really anonymous. My name is David Brody, FYI, the water cooler with David Brody, narcissistically. Uh, but look, this guy, uh, anonymous, Miles Taylor, that's who he is. And uh, he was supposed to be this top administration official. Yeah, uh, so I'm trying to think. No, I don't know who he is. Uh, I've never heard. And I cover politics, and I've never heard of Miles Taylor. Uh, he's not a top administration official. It was all kind of bogus. He wrote this book and the op-ed in the New York Times saying he's going to protect the democracy. Anyhow, Trump had a bit of fun with it. Have a look. He wrote a phony book. was just basically, if you read, if you heard about Anonymous, it was like somebody that was right next to me. I thought it might have been Hope Hicks. He was right I thought it might have been Jared. I thought it might have been Mike Lee. I was worried from the great state of Utah. I was extremely worried about Rand Paul. Maybe it was Rand. This guy is a low-level, low-life that I don't know. I have no idea who he is other than I got to see him a little while ago on television. And I think they threw him out a long time ago. His phony book was just based on fake articles and left-wing outlets. He worked with the, listen to this, the fake news, New York Times, right? And he's an employee of Google. He works for Google. Isn't that nice? Google. The people that you guys are looking at right now. The whole thing was just one more giant hoax from the Washington swamp and a corrupt special interest group. 
Trump is the greatest showman. Let's be honest. Forget Hugh Jackman in that movie. No, no. Trump's the greatest showman. Uh, look, where do I even begin with uh, this anonymous thing? Let's just start with this. Uh, he's a paid contributor for CNN. All right. So, so you have that. Uh, you have the fact that the New York Times decided to make a big deal about this as a top administration official supposedly inside the White House. Remember, that's what it was, a, a, an inside the White House person uh, who was trying to protect democracy. It wasn't any of that. It was a big, a bunch of uh, hooey, uh, as my dad would say from about 45 years ago. It's like malarkey uh, when Joe Biden talks about that. It's just ridiculous. And so once again, Trump is on to something. This is why he could win next week, because folks, the voters are on to all of this. You know that the media is in, in co cohorts or, or cahoots. Did I say cohorts or cahoots uh, with the Democrats and the liberals? And it's all a big game and Trump's exposing them all. That's what middle America thinks. And if middle America ends up voting at the polls next week in big fashion, it'll be Trump again back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the water cooler. All right, it's the end of the show. So why don't we talk about uh, what's on justthenews.com and all that stuff. Sophie Mann is with us from justthenews.com. Mm -hmm. Sophie, good to see you. Good to see you. So Michigan, talk to me. I'm, here's what I'm hearing. Open carry Michigan polls election. That feels like a recipe for disaster. Indeed. Although, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay, As, what so, do you got? Well, basically, we, we've been seeing a slew of lawsuits um, mm -hmm. and decisions coming down from state judges about, you know, election, election business. Um, most of it has had to do with ballots and mail-in ballots. In Michigan, of course, they're a little bit different up there. Um, yeah. This one is about whether or not you could take your gun to the polls. Mm -hmm. So you have Michigan, you have uh, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her Secretary of State, a woman named Jocelyn Benson, okay. who in mid-October um, just sent down a rule throughout the uh, state saying that you cannot open carry, the state has open carry laws, but she said you cannot open carry your weapon to a polling location or anywhere where um, ballots are being counted. Hmm. Um, so I, who knows exactly how big of an issue that would have been regardless. Mm -hmm. But uh, on earlier this week, uh, Judge Christopher Murray, who's a circuit court judge in Michigan, said mm -hmm. um, that this was not allowed. It had been sort of the rule had been executed incorrectly. Like there's a way to institute it correctly, but as seemingly what happened so often with the Whitmer administration, it was instituted a little bit lazily, a little bit without regard for the actual infrastructure of the rule of law and how it, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying you in fact can now open carry if you would like to. Um, the Michigan Attorney General has appealed the, the decision. She appealed it Wednesday. So we'll see what happens. I mean, again, this is a little bit different than some of the cases we've been seeing about mm -hmm. actually counting ballots and whatnot, but it does sort of just continue to stoke those Democratic, Republican tensions in a state that already is going to be a controversial one on the third. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I'm not sure. If, I, look, Second Amendment, knock yourself out. But, yeah. I mean, open carry. I mean, I, well, but it is an open carry state. Yeah. So, I mean, they can do what yeah, they want. Yeah, so same as everywhere else. I mean, it, it's interesting because, um, because, you know, just 
the I think what the what the Attorney General and Secretary of State were worried about is sort of voter intimidation tactics. Right, you know, right. if, it, if I go to the polls with you with my gun in your back and say vote for whomever, and right. and the judge said basically that's not what's going to happen. This, th these are already the rules of our state. You can't treat polling places like anywhere else. I mean, yeah. you know, like almost to put this rule in place is to acknowledge and stoke these tensions, which is not what we want to do. Yeah, no, no, don't want to put the gun in the back of a voter. That's right. probably not a, not a great right. thing. That'd be, let me think of felony. Right. No, right. to be clear, we're not encouraging that. <laughs> right. All right. Thanks, Sophie. On the show tomorrow, Diamond and Silk. They usually have something to say. See you tomorrow.